Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we are doing on Tuesday morning. So we're trying to stay as fresh as we possibly can. So uh, thanks for hanging in with us for a little bit later with this posting. But um, I am in Boston where I went to the Eastern Conference Finals game four last night, which we'll talk about in a second. Joining me are a couple of guys in Texas. First, in Austin, the professor, the author of Sprawl Ball, which is on the wall behind him. <laughs> is Kirk Goldsberry. Hi, Kirk. Hello, Brian. I hope you're having a good time in Boston, and, and, and uh, I hope that uh, these series get a little more interesting for you as you fly back and forth between Boston and Miami. <laughs> Do you know how many lead changes there have been in the Eastern Conference <laughs> Finals through four games? I haven't seen this, so hit me. Hit me. What's the minimum number of lead <laughs> changes you can have in a four-game series? Well, I'm, I'm a numbers guy. I think that number could get to zero. I think it could get to zero. Well, I guess that's true. I guess if no one's anyway, there's been four, four, okay. that's you, awful. You, get, you are allotted one per game. I hope you enjoy it uh, <laughs> early on. Uh, there were none. I'll tell you in the, uh, in last night's game, because it was 18 to one out of the gate. If you want to compare it to a horse race, which I would not joining us in Dallas, where he's covering the Western conference finals tonight will be game four of that series as the Mavericks look to uh, avoid a sweep is Om young Masuk. Hey, Om, what's up? What up, Wendy? Very curious to see if the Warriors will blow their third straight first crack at a closeout in the series. They could not do it on their first opportunity against Denver. They obviously got waxed in that game five at Memphis when they were down by 55 at one point. So we'll see. It's going to be interesting tonight if they can close out the Mavs. Well, the Warriors are known for many things, uh, and most of them are positive, but they might just be remembered for not being able to close out a series, <laughs> one series in particular that I think some people may remember. Um, there, you know, After blowing the 3-1 lead, the next year, the Warriors were up uh, 3-0 on the Cavs in the finals, and then the Cavs won game four, making everybody go back out to um, – to uh, Sam, uh, I guess Oakland, um, and to play Game Five, and it was, it did make the Warriors, uh, uh, you know, like twenty million extra dollars because they got to have another home game, but they had to cancel their championship party and parade fourth for the fourth consecutive time. <laughs> the Cavs got beat, lost the title that year, but they did make the Warriors cancel one more uh, party. Um, so. It's been an unfortunately un, un, uh, uncompetitive uh, finals conference finals round so far. Not so much that the series in the East isn't close. Obviously, it's 2-2, but all the games have been lopsided for the most part. Game three did come down to the final minutes, but you never really felt like the Heat were going to lose that game. Um, but it's been unfortunate what's happened. It's not, I guess, surprising at this point, but uh, injuries have become a massive story. Um, in the, uh, you know, in this series. And I think it's interesting going forward. You know, I think the Warriors, if they needed extra motivation to try to close out the Mavericks, uh, just look at what's happening in these series. Guys are dropping left and right. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, I, you know, I do, you know, on these game days, I'm doing television all day long. And like, you know, typically when you talk about these games on TV, you know, you have to be a little shorter than we are here in the radio, not just a little shorter, a lot shorter, but you can, you can bring up some topics to look at, like some strategy points, like what did you hear from the coaches and players at shoot around um, 
And we spend the entire time asking the coaches and the players, like, how about your injuries? Yesterday, Eric Spolstra's entire pregame media was covering like the six guys they had in their injury report. And um, I mean, the Heat, to their credit, projected a very, we're just fine. Um, you know, that's the way they kind of made it made it sound like when they were walking out of the arena last night. They were like, yeah, it's 2-2. You know, we're, um, we're doing fine. We've got home court advantage. Um, Eric Spolstra said the word competitive six times in his post-game press conference. I know because I counted. He kept saying it's a competitive series. It actually hasn't been a competitive series. Um, but their guys, they're, they're, you know, Jimmy Butler, <clears throat> uh, his knee is really bothering him. He obviously had to come out of game three with this knee inflammation. Um, he had this happen to him in the first time in the first series against Atlanta, the first round. And in that series, he, he actually took like almost a week off. He skipped one game, but there was like two days off before it and two days off after it. And, um, and he had his worst game of the playoffs uh, after that knee injury, the first round series. And he might have, had, he might have um, unfortunately surpassed that with the game that he had in game four on Monday night um, because he, uh, he was three of 14. And I remember one of the baskets that he made, he got so, so much, so little lift on that jumper that he almost shot put it. Like it was the angle at which the ball went to the basket. It was like unnatural. So he can say whatever he wants. He just didn't look right. And um, Kyle Lowry is five of he's, he's coming back from this hamstring. He's not right. He's five of 17 shooting. Tyler hero is on the missed the game. This, you know, Kirk, these are three of their best offensive players and the heat, you know, their challenge is scoring in the half court. And right now, you know, if you conclude Bam Adebayo, three of their four best offensive players are injured or hurting or limping or whatever. And even though it's 2-2 with the Heat having home court, I just don't know if they're going to be able to score enough points to be able to pull out two of these next three. Yeah, I don't know either. I think if if last night was any indication of what we're going to get from the Miami Heat, then the answer is no. So the, the, the question then becomes, will the Miami Heat get in shape quick enough to compete in games five, six, and potentially seven. Ultimately, Brian, I think you, you, you nailed it. This series is going to come down to that old NBA cliche. The best ability is availability, uh, but it's got to be a little bit more than just availability for Jimmy Butler. You can, you can see a version of him out there that looks like the best player of the league at times. Uh, and then you can see what we saw last night. So it's not just ability with Jimmy Butler. He needs to be the best version of himself. I think one of the things you can kind of tease out of these last two games is these are two of the best defenses in the league. And in game three, Miami asserted itself on defense with those ridiculous steals. I think they had 19 steals. And then last I think they night, had 28 deflections or something in that game. Yeah. When they're right, dude, they are hunting the basketball more than like any team I can remember in recent memory, somebody's going to throw some reference out there and probably be correct, but they just took the Celtics lunch money all day in game three. Uh, and then, you know, the Celtics probably have a better defense statistically this year than Miami does. And last night as, as banged up as Miami was, that was like, Oh, we got Robert Williams. 
We have Al. We didn't even have the defensive player of the year, and we just held your starters to the lowest point total any starting group has ever had in the history of the playoffs <laughs> since we've been tracking that stat 50 years ago, man. Yeah, um, let me see. Uh, so what can was one the of number? these was offenses it 18 wake points? Up? Was yeah. it 18? Yeah, so let uh, me just let me just add this. This is going to come down to which offense can finally get over this defense they're looking at. And I think Boston has the advantage just because of what you're saying. Unfortunately, it's the injury situation. Boston's offense seems to be a little more whole. I'm interested to hear what Ohm says or, or you have to say. I think if I'm looking out in the next three years, I think Boston's offense will be able to answer the bell a little bit better than Miami's because of the injury situation facing both teams. Hey, uh, Wendy, you obviously have been around that Heat organization for a long time, and, and obviously I did a lot of those Knicks-Heat battles back in the 90s. Um, first of all, Spo last night sounded very Riley-esque to me of mm-hmm. just trying to convince his team, like, let's get out of this. Uh, we're gonna, we are going to fight. We are going to be there. We're fine, you know, trying to turn the page as quickly as possible from that blowout but to me and i know bam obviously something has to be bothering him right because i mean it's just like he what, what do you have last night like five shots or something like yeah. that yeah three yeah, for five he yeah. has to be i mean I, I i get it maybe it's not in his dna at times to be aggressive or whatever it is but that's the guy to me that i'm sure right you know riley uh, uh spo everybody has to get into that he has to be the guy to step up especially jimmy butler's not himself what I wanted to know, Wendy, was like, what, they didn't score their first field goal until like three, 333 or something like that in the first quarter? What was that like to watch like the first like <laughs> not nearly nine minutes and not see a team make a field goal until that point? Yeah, um, they, they missed their first 14 shots. It was 18 to one. And really, like uh, the Celtics weren't exactly on fire. <laughs> they, I think they shot like 42% in the first quarter. They, they shot under 40% for the game. Uh, after the game, Eric Spolster was like, well, I know for a fact we can play better on defense. And I was like, I guess schematically you can, but the Celtics were eight of 34 on threes. I don't, I mean, it, the defensive performance was, was, was definitely good enough to win. Um, there was a couple of blown bunnies in there. They blew a couple of layups. Uh, and there was a couple of times where they had good looks and the ball just rattled out. And you're like, boy, they're just absolutely ice cold. Nothing is going their way. But for the most part, the Celtics just shut them down. They were just like, look, you're not going to get past our first way. They just were like, we're not allowed. We're not allowing penetration. We're just not going to do it. And one of the things, you know, the Celtics are completely aware that those guys are hurting. They know that Jimmy's not right. They know that Lowry's not right. In game three, the Heat altered their offensive strategy a little bit maybe because they knew that Jimmy was, was limping, you know, uh, Jimmy had, um, this is all you need to know about Jimmy Butler. And I mean, I, you know, he says he's going to be fine. I, it's his knee. Maybe he will be fine, but he had 28 free throw or 26 free throws. The first two games, he's had two in the last game and a half. That's he didn't play the second one. half. Yeah. So he's just not, you know, getting explosion. So what they, what the heat did in game three, and also because Bam at a bio, just wasn't much of a factor. Uh, in the first two games, they decided to start running their offense kind of through Bam. They 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 ran more pick and rolls with Bam as the screener um, in the first quarter of Game Three than they had in Games One and Two combined. So basically, they were like, "Okay, J- Jimmy and Kyle are limping. Let's 
let's rely on Bam. And so, you know, the 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 uh, the Celtics ran their normal switching defense, and they didn't have Robert Williams, and you know, Bam kind of took advantage of them. So the Celtics yeah. altered their strategy and went to. I, I don't like to talk X's and O's because, frankly, it's I'm, I'm I can't do it like as well as some other people. Um, I rely. I mean, I obviously I'm watching the game, but. But, you know, they basically went into more drop coverage and they basically said, we're going to keep Bam in front of us. And so instead of Bam getting to the rim uh, or at least getting going toward the rim like he was in game three, he had to take a lot of mid-range jumpers. And he just, he, you could tell he wasn't comfortable. And so they basically just wanted to force him to not be able to have good looks. And so that's why he ends up with five shots. And Brian, and look, just jumping in on there, yeah. I think the Stats and Info Group did pull an incredible stat that in both these series for Miami, when Joel Embiid or... Robert Williams was in the game, a traditional big center. And obviously both of those dudes are great defensive centers. Bam has had a hard time, not just scoring, but even shooting the basketball. Uh, and I think Robert Williams coming back, you know, um, I, I, I see the same thing with Bam, but let's not dis dismiss just how good Time Lord's impact can be. He, he's arguably the best defensive player on that team. He allows them to do all the switching stuff so well. Uh, and I think his return to, to the game actually did affect Bam. I just wanted to get that in there, Brian. Yeah, let me just say that. Let me see a quick thing about the Celtics injuries. Um, Marcus Smart, you know, so I, I'm not, I, I don't know what Robert Williams' availability is going to be throughout the rest of the playoffs. Um, as well as he played last night. And the Celtics crowd a couple of times just gave um, spontaneous standing ovations for the way that the Celtics were playing. Just they, they have just applauded the defensive effort. I think Al Horford got two of them because Al Horford was extremely active defensively. Robert Williams came out of the game either after his first or second shift. And the, the, the crowd knew that he was fighting a little bit. Like he, you know, there was one time where he blocked a shot. He came over with great rotation and blocked a shot. And it was obviously, you know, good play and uh, a, uh, you know, impact defensive play. And he didn't really celebrate it because you could tell he was in pain when he landed on, he's got a bone bruise in his left knee, which also just had surgery. And so I, and Ime Odoka has said, like, I, we're not sure how Robert's going to do day to day. So, I mean, I have no, in, I have no firm insight on this, but just watching Robert Williams move last night, like we'll see what he's on the injury report for later today. My guess is he'll be questionable. Uh, he's going to be fighting this. So I can't even say for sure how he's going to hold up. Um, Marcus Smart was frankly limping. Um, now ankle injuries, you know, every 24 hours they're going to improve significantly. So maybe he'll be just fine, but he's got to get on a three hour flight today, which won't help. And I'm sure that'll be wrapped way up on that flight. Um, I'm sure he's one of those things where he will be getting whatever they possibly can do to that ankle all the time with its ice wrapping it stem, whatever they do. Um, so I'm not even sure where he's going to be at for that one. And um, Derek white, they had to call a timeout late in the game last night and take him out of the game. He was grabbing at his hamstring. So I don't know where he's at. So, you know, the Celtics, you know, if you're the Warriors, you got to be thinking, boy, let's just, let's get to the house. Let's get to the house here. Um, because obviously this series is going at least two more. And, um, you know, it's, at this point, it's every other day and it's like play, fly all day i mean not all day but it's you know it's big travel you know three hours up and down the coast um so uh 
but you know, getting back to to what we were saying, um, you know, Robert Williams made an impact defensively, and um, the Heat, you know, if to be fair to the Heat, they would, you know, if um, if Spo or, or Pat Riley were on here, and I uh, I talked to Pat briefly yesterday, and um, Pat Pat took exception Pat took exception to me when I said that uh, you know the Heat was all business. He goes, I can have fun, just not, just not around you. Uh, cause I was, I was noting, you know, they were very much of the heat were very much in their playoff mode yesterday. Um, which I've seen for years, uh, um, you know, their owner, Mickey Harrison, um, he comes to shoot around. Uh, this is something that I, I mean, I'm obviously not in every team shoot around, but you know, Mickey Harrison comes to the heats practices a lot and just sits there and is very quiet, just supportive and the side knows what's going on with this team. And in the playoffs, he comes on the road and he comes to shoot around. Um, I can't say I've ever seen another owner at shoot around, um, but Mickey comes and he was there with his son, Nick, who is the team CEO and the whole front office was there and, and Pat was all business. And um, I said, boy, you're all business. He goes, I can have fun. Anyway. Um, uh, the heat, if, if Pat was on here right now, he would probably say a lot of things to me, but he, um, he would say, listen, Max Struess went 0 of 7. You know, P.J. Tucker went 0 of 4. Gabe Vincent went 2 of 10. You say oh, you know, our only offensive players are the guys who are hurting. We have other offensive players. We have enough. Spo would say we have enough. Spo would say competitive eight times in, uh, in, in other words um, and say we have enough. And, like, that's fair. Like, uh, you know, Victor Oladipo looked really good. It was his best offensive game maybe as a heat, certainly in this postseason, he had 23 points. Um, uh, Duncan Robinson actually hit four out of eight, three pointers. So, you know, a couple of them were in garbage time, but I mean, it, he saw the ball go through the basket, you know, the heat, you know, the heat are gonna, are gonna need, are gonna need that because I just, I just don't know if they can score, you know, in game three, the Celtics turned the ball over on 25% of their possessions home. 25% of their possessions. I mean, I'm sure it's happened before, but I've never seen it in the playoffs. And um, that made them 33 points that the Heat got off turnovers. That's vital to them with their current situation, with their injuries and their current struggles offensively. Um, and, you know, in the game, five, game four, the Celtics had three turnovers in the entire first half. They had seven points allowed off turnovers the entire game. I mean, 33 is not normal. Seven is not normal either. It's probably going to be somewhere in between there, but the heat badly need those points. So, um, you know, I really, oh my, I would really love to see a couple of competitive games here, but I'm having difficulty creating the case that Miami is going to win them. Well, I mean, look, we've seen that the numbers are as ugly as you will ever see them from a starting five in a playoff game. I mean, the starters for Miami scored a total of what it was like 18 points or something like that. I mean, it's just, obscene but the thing is we've seen this a million times you know where a, a veteran playoff team was blown out had their doors blown out i was even thinking the same thing when i saw i it was something i had never seen before i had never seen a team fall by fall behind by 55 in a game five in a playoff game like i did with the warriors of memphis but i remember looking in the third quarter and seeing you know steph on the sideline and draymond and they played whoop that you know the, the the mantra in memphis and i remember seeing draymond wave his towel looking like literally joining the memphis dancers on the floor and, and getting fans to get up and get into that song and i think i remember thinking 
Warriors are going to be fine the next game. And it, even as crazy it was when they were down 55, because I remember thinking veteran teams know how to bounce back. And then like that series where there's just no momentum created, the teams just keep bouncing back and bouncing back. Now, the only one thing I would say is obviously Miami's health is a major, major factor with that. But I am, I tend to believe that the heat will kind of come back, be competitive, play much better. Um, and they just, that's that type of mentality we've seen from that franchise over and over again, barring the fact that Kyle Lowry can't really go and Jimmy Butler is done and um, they're shot. And of course, Boston knows that this is the game you have to get in Miami. This is the game just, just like Golden State said, said the other night when they were going for game three, Draymond had said, we, we knew we went all in on this game. This was the game that we wanted. We still had momentum from coming back in game two from 19 down. And this was the game that we had to get. And of course, with Boston, you know, this is the game you have to get in South Beach so that you can take it back and try to finish it off in Boston. But I would be very surprised if we see anything remotely close to the same effort we got last night from, uh, from the Heat. If only starting your fitness journey was as easy as starting this podcast. The truth is all the lift big, get big, and beach body ready in three weeks pressure stops most of us from even starting. And starting is what matters most. It's everything. Wherever you're beginning and wherever you want to be, Peloton encourages you to just start. With thousands of classes to get you moving and doing what you can, even if that's just a 10-minute low-impact class, they have those too. And when you're ready, take it up a gear with a 30-minute live DJ ride. Start with Peloton and find instructors that will keep you motivated to stay on your fitness journey. Learn the basics and build from there. Remember, doing something is everything. Get started with a Peloton bike or Bike Plus rental at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. Terms apply. It's always showtime at BetMGM Sports, and you can make your first bet risk-free up to $1,000 when you sign up with code HOOP1000. Don't let another game day go by without having the ultimate sports betting app in the palm of your hand. Discover nonstop excitement with BetMGM's state-of-the-art technology and dozens of betting options, including live wagers, props, parlays, and much more. No matter what your favorite sport is or how you like to wager, find out why there's nothing like getting a W at the king of sportsbooks. So use code HOOP1000 and make your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Download the BetMGM app today and sign up. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to enter. Arizona, Colorado, Washington, D.C., Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, Mississippi, New Jersey, Nevada, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, or Wyoming only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire in seven days from issuance. Excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, Washington, D.C., Louisiana, Nevada, Wyoming, and Virginia. Call 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER in Illinois, Indiana. New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia, or 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Tennessee, call the red line at 800-889-9789. In Mississippi, call 1-888-777-9696. Sports betting is void where prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada. So, Kirk, uh, you think the, uh, I wouldn't say any chance, but, you know, where, where, where do you view the, the balance in this series in terms of what, what the Heat's situation is? Just because of injuries, I got to give the the advantage to Boston. I think game yeah. five is the biggest game of the year in the Eastern Conference, as Ohm laid out for us. I think whoever wins that's going to have a chance to close out this series on their home floor. Uh, and I, I think that's a big deal if both teams are right. Now, Miami 
is not right. And to be fair to Boston, they're not right. They don't have the defensive player of the year and their point guard in their lineup as of uh, yesterday. So it's going to come down to which team is more whole. Uh, and when I look at this series as four units. Obviously, Miami's defense is elite. Boston's defense is elite. Miami's offense is questionable. We're not going to see those numbers that we saw um, last night again, I don't think. But I think Boston's offense puts them over the top from what I've seen. They have to, they have Tatum, they have Jalen Brown, they have players that can make shots. Uh, and, and, and they appear, guys, to just be healthier going into this huge game five than their counterparts in Miami do. So I'm giving the, uh, the advantage to, to the Boston Celtics. Yeah, that is a very annoying take for the Heat fans who are like, wait a minute, we're the number one seed. We've got home court. What are you talking about? We're fine. So I get it. I get it. All right, Ohm, um, just disappointing the way this series has gone. Um, I actually am disappointed in the Phoenix Suns. I'm still disappointed in the Suns. Because <laughs> I think I think the I, Phoenix Suns are disappointed in the Phoenix Suns, yeah. especially seeing how, how uh, the series has gone so far. Yeah. Um, I, you know, the, the, the way that they allowed themselves to lose leverage against the Mavericks and, and um, you know, I, the set, the, the game seven performance remains a mystery. There's probably reasons why the contributor reasons why it happened, whether we'll ever find those out, you know, we'll see. Um, but the Suns were better equipped to play the Warriors than the Mavericks are. The Mavericks just aren't equipped. Um they have some bad matchups uh, playing against golden state requires maximum discipline. And even though that the, the Mavericks are really were one of the best defensive teams in the league over the last, uh, you know, third of the season or whatever it was um, it's just, it, it's a big ask for them. And the warriors um, have rediscovered um, the rhythm that they really had early in the season. Um uh, I, I don't really think it's a commentary on Dallas or Luca. I think this is more of a commentary on the Warriors. How do you see it? You've been there. I think you're right. I think the one thing we've noticed that's really kind of separated the Warriors from the Grizzlies and the Mavs is just their ability to sense a moment when they know this is the moment that we need to pick it up and we can win this game. Uh, we saw in the third quarter um, against Dallas the other night where Dallas is just missing shots or whatever. But even like with Dallas is up 19 in game two and then all of a sudden they have all these open shots and they're just taking threes and taking threes that are not making anything they're not getting into paint if you notice with dallas anytime they get into paint good things happen like they're either going to draw a foul they're either going to score or they're going to kick it out and find a good open three as opposed to one that they just come down and make the first pass and hit the three so like the but the the, the thing about the warriors is they they you can see the championship DNA. You can see the championship experience from that core. And I think it's starting to rub off on the younger guys like Jordan Poole, um, where they are starting to sense these moments and then they take control of games. And that's the thing. The, the Warriors at the same time, you were just talking about the Phoenix Suns. I mean, they were able to take advantage of Memphis. Memphis gave them a really difficult time, even without John Morant. You think about the Phoenix Suns. I'm thinking from the standpoint of the Memphis Grizzlies looking at, had they somehow gotten that series to a seventh game and were able to pull that out somehow without John yeah. Morant, they could be looking at going to the NBA Finals. You know, I think Memphis would have won this series against Dallas. And I think I think somebody uh, tweeted that to John Morant. John Morant said 100% like had they gotten past uh, Golden State, they might be going to the NBA Finals. But 
I think Boy, that's, that's surprising. Difference. Ja having confidence on <laughs> social media. I <laughs> yeah. would have thought he said, no, we'll have to see. I don't know. It could have gone yeah. either way. Yeah. I think yeah. that's the thing. What we're seeing though with Golden State is their championship DNA is coming out. They know. And that's the one thing though about this thing. They should know this moment right here. If they take care of business tonight, they will have Brian over. They will have over one week of rest. Game one of the NBA finals is on June 2nd. That is unbelievable. That's like, that yep. is like gold for them. To be and a, and they're guaranteed banked up, yeah, right? And if they win, for tonight, so they yeah, need this type of rest. If, and if they win, they're guaranteed home court. I mean, they're guaranteed yes. home court. Um, so that's a factor too. They know that they'll they'll rest and also be able to start at home. So just a point. They, they won't have to get on a plane for uh, what a week and a half, almost two weeks. That's huge. Yeah, uh, Kirk. I mean, I know that that uh, there's this desire for Luca to be able to. Um, to be able to carry his team. That was certainly what I wanted to see coming in. And, you know, I, I it, right now people are kind of taking shots at the Mavericks point. The supporting cast isn't good enough. It's still early in their cycle with Luca. I'm yeah. not, you know, going to, going to hit him. but I will say that the stat that I sort of walked away from uh, in game three was that Luca has eight 40 point games in the playoffs in his career. Now he uh, passed Dirk and, and for most in Mavericks uh, team history. Yeah. And they're two and six in those games. Um, that says that says a lot about where the Mavericks are in this year, in this uh, in this moment right now. Yeah, I keep I keep telling people it, this is Jordan versus Detroit, or maybe even LeBron versus Boston. The, those early career series where you're up against the establishment, you're the upstart superstar. You're going to be fine, young man. You're going to be fine. But this is this is sort of the archetype in the hero quest in the NBA for for one of the next main stars. Uh, the Golden State Warriors are just simply more thorough of a basketball team. They have too many weapons. We haven't even seen Clay Thompson really have that Clay Thompson game yet this series. They have Jordan Poole. Of course, they have Stephen Curry, Draymond Green. And then Kevon Looney uh, comes out and, and wins a game and has been so important for this team. They're just deeper. Uh, and I, I say this out of respect to the Mavs. Their supporting cast isn't good enough to get over this hump this year. Uh, they, they're very good. <laughs> They deserve to be here, in my opinion. They won a game seven on the road against the defending Western Conference champions. But like Om alluded to, this is sort of also familiar from a Warriors perspective. This is a very heliocentric offense they're facing. This is a dribble, dribble, dribble. I'll figure you out. And if you help on me, I'm going to find an open shooter. That is the James Harden Maverick, uh, James Harden Rockets. And what we're seeing in a familiar refrain is those open shots aren't going in. Ohm already hit this, but the, the Dallas is shooting 33% uh, in this series on wide open threes. That, that's not good enough. They made 48% of them in the last round, 46% of them in the first round. And so, you know, Maxi really didn't look confident when he got the ball in, 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 in that last loss. Those are the kinds of supporting players at home that you need to be making those shots, you know, my friend, Matt Bonner, you know, when the Spurs, when that ball finds you and you're open in the playoffs, you need to make those shots. If you want to beat the golden state warriors, you can't shoot poorly from behind the three point line, especially when you're wide open, because this is a defense that doesn't give you a lot of opportunities like that. So ultimately, yeah, I think it's golden state's defense more than it's Dallas's offense. I want to give them credit. Uh, they have sort of come into form here, Brian. Uh, but yeah, it, this is just the championship DNA that they're a more thorough team and, and they're going to win this series largely because they're more complete than the Dallas Mavericks.
Yeah, people talk about the depth of the Warriors, and you know, uh, Andrew Wiggins has played very well. He played great, one of the best games he's played all season in Game Three. This is the thing you have to you have to point out about the Warriors. Andrew Wiggins is at best their fourth best player. On some nights, he's their seventh best player. He makes thirty three million dollars. <laughs> the fourth best player on the Warriors makes thirty three million dollars, and. You know, this is the thing. The Warriors have done a really good job of of acquiring and retaining talent. But they spend a ton of money. Uh, for three or four, maybe five years ago, I'm not sure exactly what year it was, they surpassed the Lakers in terms of their revenue to become the number one revenue team in the league. That was still when they were in Oracle. This arena is one giant money generation machine, which it, it, it wheezed for a while um, with the COVID. And the Warriors ownership just just had to sell off some equity in the arena and the team. And they were able to generate like five hundred million dollars, you know, lickety split because they're of their value. And so I don't want to put down Bob Myers or or Schiefer or anybody, but it's really nice to have a thirty three million dollar third or a a fourth option um, who if he has a bad night you know, okay, no big deal. We'll just put him over here and nobody will mention it. Um, and that's just, you know, Jordan Poole might even push Wiggins to their fifth best player, depending on the night. Um, and Jordan Poole's on his rookie contract. He's about to get paid. So, you know, part of this is just, you know, the Warriors might is, is showing up in this playoff run now that they're fully healthy. Um, let me ask you a question here. And this is a, this is a, a summer contract question. And I may, it's not always appropriate to talk about that when you're in the middle of the playoffs, but something I've wondered as I've watched the Warriors this postseason. So Jordan Poole uh, and uh, uh, Andrew Wiggins both have one year left on their contract. Poole's is like for less than 2 million or around 2 million because he was the 27th or 26th or 27th pick in the draft. And he's on his rookie deal. I mentioned Andrew Wiggins makes over 30 million. I think, I mean, he maybe make 31 this year and it's 33 next year, whatever it is. He's got one year left on his contract. Both of them are eligible for extensions this offseason. And look, I don't know what Joe Lacob's budget is. Uh, I know that he's paying, you know, enormous luxury tax. Um, you know, some of the most luxury tax of all time. They're, they're spending, you know, like upwards of $400 million on their payroll. And when you include the tax, maybe he'll sign Poole and sign Wiggins and be like, we got a ton of money. Chase, Chase Center has got concerts again. Everything's fine. But if they have to choose between Poole and Wiggins, and this isn't just a contract question, it's just an evaluation of a, a value question. And they can't keep both of them just because at some point there's some figure that they can't, that they can't afford. Who do you think they would choose? This is a really tough question. I mean, if obviously you had asked me this after – the first two or three games of the Denver series, you would easily say it was Jordan Poole because Jordan Poole was looking like almost like he could be the, the next maybe closest thing that they might have to another Steph Curry. That's just how great he was at the beginning of that series. But then you're coming off this game where Andrew Wiggins was so impactful for them on so many sides. This series has been very impactful defensively on Luka Doncic. Yes. Luka's putting up good numbers, but if you watch the games, I mean, Wiggins is doing a pretty good job on him, as good of a job as they can have. 
Um, and then, you know, obviously he had the big dunk. He's scoring inside. He's been very active. And Steve Kerr had said this yesterday that when they lost Kevin Durant, he, he said a lot of people lost sight of the fact that we lost almost our entire wings. All of our wings were gone after 2019 due to the injuries to Clay Thompson, due to losing Kevin Durant. Um, and he was just like, basically like with that, we needed that position so bad. And you see what Andrew Wiggins is doing. Almost all the Warriors have been saying over the last 24 plus hours since that game of just how, like they, I, I was a little surprised by this, but they were all like, we wouldn't be here without Andrew Wiggins. Uh, now, are they trying to pump up Andrew Wiggins a little bit? I'm sure they are to a certain extent. But, I mean, I would I would say that if they go on to win a championship here, I mean, you would have to see the argument that they would have to try and keep both, even though that would be very expensive. If I had to really, though, choose one or the other, I would probably choose Jordan Poole just because of the the massive potential there and what we've seen him be able to do so far in this playoffs, just scratching that surface. You know, but, I mean – I don't know. At the same time, Wendy, I was watching, I was thinking about what Kirk just said about how Doncic is going to be okay. This feels like Jordan versus the Pistons. And I remember thinking in game three, when I was watching Maxi Kleba miss a lot of those threes that were open. And I was thinking, God, if they just had another big in here, and I'm sure any team would say this, who could rebound, make shots, and of course, defend the rim. And I was just trying to think like, like I was even thinking like, forget about defending the rim. If they just have like somebody like, like Kevin Love, who could just grab a few more rebounds at these rebounds and make a couple threes from the corner. I was like, Dallas would be so much better because. Well, they thought they the- had that player on quite frankly. Yes. They thought they had that guy. I uh, mean, like who's Doncic to Scotty, right. who's Doncic to Scotty Pippen right now it is Brunson as good as Brunson's been as brilliant as Brunson's been. Yep. He can't be that Scotty Pippen for Doncic. They've got to find a lot more help for him. And so I remember thinking that, so I don't mean to switch from, Pool to Wiggins, but my answer to you would probably be Pool if I had to pick one. Let me ask you about that, Kirk, because the Warriors live in a world where you know their championship window extends beyond this season. Yeah, um, they're trying to win this one. They're trying to win more, and they now live in a world where Luka Doncic is going to be a major challenge. Um, you know, they need someone who's a big defender to deal with him. By the way, I just looked it up. Pool makes two point one this year, three point nine next year. Wiggins is a 31-5 this year, 33-6 next year. Um, but then it's the year after that those decisions will get made this summer. Um, knowing where, you, where, the, where the West is, what the Warriors already have on their roster, I mean, maybe they don't have to choose. But if they had to choose, you know, the, the reality that one of those guys can defend Luka Doncic for the foreseeable future has to figure in, right? Yeah, I think the, there's normally Bob Myers making these calls, but in this case, I think you're going to have a tribal council that includes Stephen Curry, <laughs> yeah. uh, Draymond Green, and Clay Thompson, and Steve Kerr, who want to win more championships in the early part of the 2020s. Um, and they're going to really favor the personnel that helps them take the most advantage, uh, especially let's focus on Steph, the last four or five whatever years we have left of prime Steph Curry, maybe it's three years the way this league is and the way bodies break down. But, you know, you also mentioned this is an ownership group that isn't afraid of dipping into the luxury tax. Ohm made the point they might not have to choose. So why should we make them choose if we're the Lakers? Uh, it's a very punitive luxury tax we know in the NBA. Uh, but I, I think the best choice is like, how can we get this to work? And then one other point, if I'm Andrew Wiggins and I just look at what's happened to my career, I look at that dunk I had on Luka Doncic in the conference finals, 
that sent the whole basketball world into a frenzy, I might take a little bit less money to stay here. I have, I have seen the other side of the fence, Brian. I have seen Minnesota. I have seen what it looks like when I'm trusted to be a number one or number two option. And geez, that wasn't that fun. This is really fun. I might win championships here, multiple championships. I might have a legacy. I might get my name in the rafters. I think there's a chance that Wiggins doesn't necessarily chase the biggest payday and the Warriors find a good way uh, to keep both him and Jordan Poole, especially considering the fact that you brought up, Brian. Yeah, they might, well, Dr- they're not afraid of the luxury tax. They better not be. Their payroll next year is uh, probably going to approach $200 million. Uh, you know, K- Kevon Looney is also a free agent. I mean, he's not necessarily a big dollar, but I mean, he makes $5 million uh, considering his value to this team and considering that Wiseman, James Wiseman hasn't proven that he's ready to step into that role. You know, he's going to want to raise and um, Draymond Green only has one more guaranteed year. He's got a player option. Uh, he is eligible for a contract extension too. It's not quite as pressing again, because he's got that player option, which you figure he's going to pick up. Um, cause I think it's in the neighborhood of $25 million. Uh, let me see here. I want to get it right. I, yeah, it's 27 million in 23, 24. They may just assume that he could pick that up, but you know, he technically is eligible for an extension this summer too. <laughs> you know, what happens Kirk when, uh, when guys win, everybody comes, <laughs> comes yeah. walking to the door and say, uh, you can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit DirecTV.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Vivid Seats wants you to get to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seat Rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP, H-O-O-P. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. All right, Omar, I hope you get a competitive game tonight. Uh, you have to go back to California anyway, right? So you might as well go out there for a game five in San Francisco and then you can go back home to L.A. <laughs> um, hey, as long as it's not one of these, I mean, I got to tell you, those cross-court, uh, I mean, the cross-country trips from San Francisco to Memphis – and with Memphis, yeah. people don't, I, I don't think people understand this. I know people don't like to hear writers complain about travel and everything, but there's no like direct flights to Memphis. I, I assume that's because FedEx controls like the airspace <laughs> largely during the day. <laughs> and then the, basically you always have to connect and get in in Memphis in some weird hour. I remember seeing in LA, there was one direct flight Delta. It didn't even leave till 730 at night and it landed like 130 in the morning, which was so no, bizarre. I will, to me. I will tell you why because I'm an airline geek. It's because yes. Northwest airlines and Delta airlines merged. Yep. And Memphis was a hub for Northwest and yep. it's very close to Atlanta and you don't need two hubs in the sort of 
south, southeast. And obviously Atlanta was going to win that. So Memphis's airport was gutted. As somebody who's from Cleveland, who saw this happen when United and Continental merged, Cleveland was too close to uh, Chicago. Anyway, East Continental. anyway, that's too much boring. We talk about the NBA. Um, yes, trust me. But when I had to go between Phoenix and New Orleans in the first round, I felt it. And I'm already looking forward to the finals. Uh, with all due respect to Dallas, I think it's going to be uh, Golden State and, and one of these teams. And the travel between Boston and San Francisco and Miami and San Francisco, especially if it gets a long series where you're going back and forth for four, five, six. Um, it's it's brutal. Nobody cares, uh, but it's brutal. I mean, it's it's not enjoyable um, going three hours up and down the East Coast just because the time it takes to travel right now. But forget about that. Um, before we go, uh, Kirk, I wanted to ask you about um, the significant news we had in the NBA front office dumb, uh, on Monday. Tim Connolly leaves the Denver Nuggets uh, to go become the president of the Minnesota Timberwolves. Woj says it's um, an $8 million a year contract for $40 million and that there's some uh, ownership equity involved. Now, my phone immediately filled up after the Woj put that story out. What's the equity situation? What's the equity situation? Um, the all-time equity uh, play in, uh, in this type of thing was Pat Riley back in 1995, I believe got 10% of the Miami heat when he um, came from the Knicks. Uh, uh, wow. You know, the famous sent the facts that he was resigning, which the heat say is technically not true. And even though I just said it right then, I might get another... <laughs> Anyway, it was the best New, deal. New, New York is very sensitive to facts as Wendy, not just Pat Riley, but Bill Belichick. Okay. So New York right. has gotten way too many bad faxes. Yeah. So uh, Mickey Harrison ended up um, admitting tampering and uh, paid a, a first round pick. It was one of the best deals he's ever made as right. the owner of the heat. Um, Riley subsequently sold almost all, if not all of that back to the Arison family, by the way, years ago, years ago, he probably wishes he still had, had <laughs> it because 10%, I think it was 10%, but let's just say it was less than that. 1% of the heat right now is, you know, uh, tens of millions of dollars. So, um, uh, so the, the, idea, this giving of equity, um, I don't know that what the details on that are, I, I, you know, we're sort of in a, um, in a transition moment with the, with the wolves um, the wolves being one of the leading payers of uh, executives is pretty fascinating. Um, and it was funny when they put out the press release uh, announcing the hire, uh, there was a quote that came from quote, the ownership team. <laughs> They've got a bunch of different owners right now because Glenn Taylor is a longstanding owner, but he's in the middle of selling the team to Mark Laurie and Alex Rodriguez. So Laurie and Rodriguez are pretty much driving this, but Taylor is, you know, in the short term, still owning the team for another year. So it's, it's awkward. Um, Denver, I believe was paying uh, uh, Tim Connolly uh, over a little over $3 million a year. Um, they made an offer to retain him. Um, whatever it was, it must not have been enough. Uh, Kirk to leave the Denver nuggets is somebody who worked in the front, in the front offices for years uh, in San Antonio. What was uh, what was your phone telling? What was what was the conversations on your phone yesterday when this uh, went down? He took this job. Well, I think you know it's a good sign for for the value of of executives around the league. Uh, I think this reeks to me of Mark Laurie 
Alex Rodriguez trying to put their fingerprints on this franchise, trying to change the narrative around the Timberwolves, inject some energy, as, as somebody has said. But I think you nailed that. Like the value, maybe maybe these are the the most underrated people in the NBA. Uh, you know, I had the fortune of working for R.C. Buford and Sean Marks and, and seeing the impacts of really elite executives on organizations. And you know what? This is just Tim Connolly has built one of the best rosters in the NBA in Denver. Uh, he is a top executive, if you ask people around the league, and he got a huge payday. Uh, and, and this is a new ownership group in Minnesota trying to establish some sort of new elite front office vibes, uh, and they paid for it. I think this is a good move. I think if Tim Connolly is as good as he has been in Denver, this takes that exciting young core in Minnesota, and it changes the sort of culture. I hate to use culture for the 800th time uh, this postseason, but it it's a culture play for a front office that hasn't been stable. It hasn't been recognized as great. Uh, we, we brought up the Wigan situation earlier. It, it's kind of been all over the place. And this is a person who, who can bring stability and innovation um, and hopefully drive this Minnesota franchise into the 2020s with some exciting young talent and continue to build around that uh, for years to come. And I, I love what you said about Riley. I'll, I'll end with that. Pat Riley, to me, is proof that if you get the executive chair right in an organization, a young executive, a young issue, you can have a very stable, sustainable brand of success in the NBA. And that's the bet that Mark Laurie and, and this Alex Rodriguez group just made on, on Tim Connelly. I will say, you know, the Nuggets, um, Stan Kroenke, who owns the Nuggets, I, um, he owns a bunch of sports teams. He owns the Rams. He owns the Arsenal. He owns a, a bunch of other things. You know, he's his value. He's not really always valued executives um, as evidenced by the fact that he let Masai Ujiri leave in a right. similar situation to go to the Raptors. I don't have data on this. Um, I think Tim Connolly was under contract. They let him go without compensation that I'm aware of. Um, that's in a way it's an incredible gift to Tim Connolly to let him leave. They gave permission for him to talk. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if the nuggets get any points for that. Uh, if I was Jokic, I wouldn't be thrilled, but, no. um, oh, they just, um, they only value uh, leadership to a point. And look, maybe they, maybe Stan, Josh Kronk, you're like, we found Masai Ujiri and hired him. We found Tim Conley and hired him. Uh, Calvin Booth is um, a strong candidate to be promoted. By the way, they had Arturis Kanishevis. Yes, right. Was, was behind and, you know, got hired by the Bulls. Maybe they're just like, we'll go find another good young executive and not pay him $8 million or whatever they would have had to offer Conley. Yeah, I think that what they see is, and I'd be very surprised if Calvin Booth did not get this job. Right. Um, I think they like Calvin a lot. I think they see what Tim established there. I do think Tim had a very good relationship there. I would probably venture to say, I don't think Tim wanted to leave, but this deal was probably a deal that he simply could not turn down. Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, you can't down, <laughs> turn down. If you're yeah. making $3 million, you're doing just fine. Let's be clear in this world. But if somebody wants to two and a half times your pay yeah. and guarantee you. Well, and I mean, the equity like, too. Yeah. 
Right. I don't um, even know what the equity is going to end up being worth. But yeah, I, I would say this is interesting because Tim Connolly just traveled to Serbia with a group that included Michael Malone and a bunch of other people uh, and to, to give the MVP to Nikola Jokic. And so this was a very much a, a family oriented kind of culture at Denver that they were building there. Nikola Jokic is due a what super max contract extension, which he will get. I don't think Nikola Jokic is going to turn that down just because Tim Connolly isn't there anymore. But I do think that Jokic has to look at this and say, well, I thought we were building something here to try one championship. And the guy that pretty much put this team together, the guy that drafted me, the guy that has found and drafted, you know, took a risk on Michael Porter Jr. You know, the guy who's built all these young players up is not here anymore. So what does that mean as far as like, if we're not going to spend to keep a guy like Tim Connolly, what does this mean moving forward of how we're going to try to basically build this championship franchise? I think probably Nicola could have, you know, legitimate questions about that. Don't you think? Yeah, I think so too. I think in this story, Brian, to me, is very interesting from Denver's perspective as well as Minnesota. We've talked about how crazy the West is going to be for the next five years. There's contenders everywhere you look. Any sign of weakness is a big deal, especially when you're trying in this era to retain potential free agents named Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, uh, Michael Porter Jr. Any sign of weakness uh, or instability is bad news. And, and I think from Denver's perspective, they are fortunate. And obviously they seem pretty confident that Calvin Booth, I agree with home, it's his job to lose, can, can slide into this uh, and, and, and sort of resume the trajectory that Denver was on. Because I'm one of the people that think if Denver's healthy, they are a championship contender. They are that good and they are that deep. Tim Connolly deserves credit for that, but he's not the only one. You mentioned Arturis, Calvin Booth, and obviously the players. Hiring Mike Malone was a great, great thing. Uh, so I think this team can still be a contender in the next few years, but it's really interesting. I think there's more uncertainty there, Brian, than there was a few weeks ago. Yeah, the trip to Serbia. So, um, you know, this pursuit has been going on for some time. You know, the the, the, the Nuggets, Nuggets got eliminated a few weeks ago. Uh, the, the Timberwolves were working on this deal for a while. Um, it got public in the last five or six days, but it's been going on. The Nuggets um, surprised uh, Nikola Jokic with his MVP trophy. Uh, um, their front, uh, Mike Malone, Tim Connolly, some members, members of their organization flew over there and came to, came to Sombor, uh, Serbia to give him his award. I mean, everybody knew he was going to win. Um, even Joel Embiid knew. I know people think that he didn't know, but of course Joel knew. Um, and uh you know, the, everybody on that party and that yeah. party who went over there knew that Tim Connolly might be leaving. And so I'm sure that Connolly had discussions with Jokic. I'm sure Jokic was not caught off guard by any of this. So, um, you know, getting that contact, if I were the Nuggets and I would make you be making another trip over to Serbia um, right. later this uh, year to um, uh, to <laughs> to um to make sure that that was all settled up. Um, so that's important, but uh, we'll see how that develops. Hey, thanks guys. Um, thank you uh, for listening to Hoop Collective Podcast. Thank you to Adi, our uh, our video producer. Thank you to Daniel Dopp from uh, the Fantasy Football Podcast, who's filling in for Jackson. Jackson's uh, uh, taking some time off uh, right now. So uh, thanks for listening to Hoop Collective. We'll talk to you later this week.
Real quick, what's the easiest choice you can make? Window seat over middle? Taco Tuesday over salad? What about selling with Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash hoop, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash hoop now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash hoop.